On this episode of Life at the Ballpark, you'll hear from a man whose very birth is connected to the beginning of the franchise that he loves. He now oversees the Hall of Fame for that team, and he loves to share the city's deep roots with baseball, as well as being home to the Negro League Baseball Museum. The Negro League's Baseball Museum is not, they're telling a baseball story, but they're not really, it's not solely a baseball story, it's an American story. Welcome to Life at the Ballpark, sharing stories from players, managers and coaches, writers and broadcasters about their lives around baseball, from the sand lots to the big league ballparks. This episode is coming to you from Royals Hall of Fame, Kauffman Stadium in Kansas City, Missouri. Hi, I'm John Frost, and my guest today is Kurt Nelson. He's the director of the Royals Hall of Fame. And on this week's episode, Kurt shares about the remarkable history of baseball in Kansas City. And he tells stories about Buck O'Neill and Jackie Robinson and other great players who are enshrined in the Negro League Baseball Museum right here in Kansas City. Tell me about the rich heritage of the Negro Leagues and its impact on the city. Yeah, you know, the Negro National League was founded in Kansas City at the Paseo YMCA, a building that still exists uh, down in the 18th and Vine area, and the Negro Negro League's Baseball Museum is down there telling that story. And it's such an important story to tell. And Kansas City plays such a key part in that because the Monarchs, being a, a founding member of the Negro National League, and uh, one of the, the, the key, I, we would say the key franchise, the marquee fran- franchise, if we want to use, uh, you know, the Yankees, uh, as much as Kansas Cityans wouldn't like to use the Yankees, but sort of the Yankees of the, the only other team that can sort of is the Homestead Grays kind of. The, so in Pittsburgh and Washington, they fight that a little bit. But you know the the Monarchs being sort of the the signature franchise, and then the players that came through, uh, you know Jackie, Buck, uh, you think uh, Ernie Banks, uh, Lou Brock, uh, Satchel Paige, Bullet Joe Rogan. Hilton Smith, and it goes on and on and on. And uh, so they're an important part, and it, it's such an interesting piece of, uh, of American history, too, and that Kansas City would play a part in it. Uh, I always say that the Negro Leagues Baseball Museum is not – they're telling a baseball story, but they're not really – it's not solely a baseball story. It's an American story. Surely. It's not necessarily a happy story. It's right. The idea of why it happened is not happy, but how it happened and the people that were in it is a story of – of happiness and uh, and perseverance and you know a love of the game and 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 all those sorts of things and it's really an American story and I always talk about in Kansas City we we should feel a, a, a sense of pride that our particular area had this role to play there was there's several things in this area that I think are important in American history that are tied to that I always point out that you know in the civil rights movement there's some some significant moments in the civil rights movement and they almost all focus have a focal point either in or right around kansas city one being the desegregation of the united states armed forces was was that was an order signed by harry truman now harry truman his signature was important what was important was the the men and later many women that 
that should have had that right to begin with, but that forced the issue that Harry Truman would would sign that desegregation order. Later on, that would lead to the idea that particular move would really lead to Martin Luther King would talk about it all the time, would sort of lead to uh, the the Negro Leagues, the Jackie Robinson's eventual being able to break the color barrier, because if if one could serve in the armed forces and protect America's freedoms, how could you come back home and not be able to play the game of baseball? So that really spurred that movement, and Jackie would be the one to, uh, as as Buck would say, cross the bridge. And, of course, Jackie started here in Kansas City, and then not long after that, those two events sort of led into Brown versus the Board of Education. Well, if if I can protect America's freedom, if I can play baseball, why can't my children go to the same schools? And Brown versus Board of Education, of course, comes from Topeka. So sort of the epicenter of of civil rights in in 20th century America is right here around Kansas City. And baseball is a central figure in in that in that play and and kansas city plays a role in that so i always talk about when i talk to to bob kendrick and ray doswell down there we always talk about how in i always tell them how important i think it is and and uh, the people that go down there and tell them that i what they're the work they're doing is so important and i always tell them and and they know it is that it's really an American story told through baseball because baseball is fundamental to America to begin with. But but that's an important part of it. And and that's where, again, where baseball is magic. Baseball is special baseball and therefore has a special responsibility because it has this tie over the generations that has really knocked down walls and and made made a difference, not only in the game itself, but outside of the game. Ken Burns baseball. Yeah. Uh, covers the Negro Leagues beautifully and tells that story beautifully. And, of course, it made a celebrity of your friend Buck O'Neill. Yeah, it did. And then, you know, in Kansas City, people knew Buck in Kansas City, and and we still have his seat because Buck, you know, the last sort of stage of, of Buck's baseball life, he was a scout for the Royals, and he would sit second row uh, in, uh, in Royal Stadium and then uh, later in Kauffman Stadium. And he would scout, and he would always be writing and and scouting, and and uh, and that seat is still there. It's the uh, it's really the only red seat in the ballpark, and we've had over a thousand people now since Buck's passing. We always have somebody in Buck's seat, and that person earns sitting in that seat by being by doing some good works in the community because that's all you know. That's that that's Buck. You know, to have a spirit and and a and a selflessness for for serving others and the community. So his seat. His spirit's always in this ballpark, but his seat is always filled by someone that sort of shares that kindred spirit. And so we, we, we keep him alive and with us by doing that. But, the, you know, the Buck is and he did become a star. Ken Burns sort of made him a star. He was a star in Kansas City, but then he became sort of a national star and an international star. And p- other people around the country and around the world got to know what we in Kansas City already knew that what a gem this is. And the idea he would, you know, he would say. I always think he, he said he was born right on time. That was the name of his his autobiography. And 
So people would say, don't you wish you would have played in the big leagues? And he goes, well, I was born right on time. I was born right on time. You know, he didn't have, he was never negative towards that. Uh, and he was celebrated as he always used the wonderful metaphor of the bridge that, the, that, that everybody was there trying to construct the bridge, including him. And then Jackie was able to walk across that bridge. You know what just happened? I said, no, sir. Frank Ricker just signed Jackie Robinson to, to an organized baseball contract. I said, thank God it finally happened. Give me that horn. It's 11 o'clock at night. I get on the horn and everybody's asleep. Hear this, hear this, hear this. Everybody woke up. Frank Ricker just signed Jackie Robinson to an organized baseball contract. They hooped, they hollered, shot our guns. We didn't sleep much that night. He did not make it into the Hall of Fame and people were, people were disappointed. And, uh, you know, Buck was still alive when that sort of last push came. And he always said, you know, don't feel sorry for Buck. He goes, I and then uh, afterwards, after his passing, they, they've they, there's an award, the Lifetime Achievement Award that the National Baseball Hall of Fame and Major League Baseball gives out. That is the Buck O'Neill Award. And I always tell people Buck is not in the plaque room, but the plaque room doesn't greet people at the National Baseball Hall of Fame. If you go into the galleries to learn the story of baseball, the very first person you will meet before you go into the gallery to start learning the history of this great game is Buck O'Neill. Buck O'Neill will greet you right as you're walking in there. And and that's a special legacy because everybody that walks in there will know who who Buck O'Neill is. Not everybody in the plaque room gets a visit from each guest, but Buck will get a visit from each guest at the National Baseball Hall of Fame, as he should, because there is no greater ambassador for the game of baseball than Buck O'Neill. Coming up, Kurt Nelson of the Royals Hall of Fame shares some fun trivia from his new book. So you think you're a Royals fan next on Life of the Ballpark. So they were the Kansas City Royals, but they did not play in Kansas City. And their home field was Wrigley Field, but they did not play in Chicago. You're listening to this podcast because you have an interest in baseball. If you own a business, what do you think people who call you have an interest in? Yeah, your business. So you need a message on hold. Now, tell your callers about your products and services, locations and hours, special offers and more with a message on hold now. We've been providing telephone on-hold messages since 1992, and we can do one for you. Get your custom message on hold now at messageonholdnow.com. Messageonholdnow.com. And now back to Life of the Ballpark and my conversation with Kurt Nelson. I hope you'll subscribe and share with your friends. There's a new episode each week. Kurt Nelson, director of the Royals Hall of Fame. You're also an author. Yes. Tell me, tell me about some of the books that you've written, particularly the new one. The newest book is, uh, so the title is, so, so you think you're a Royals fan. It's really supposed to be a trivia book. That's the, the, the idea of these, uh, of the books. And I told the publisher, I said, well, you know, I can sort of do trivia, but I'm really more, I really like to more tell stories. And I said, I'd like to tell interesting stories that, 
some people might already know, but sometimes more aspects of stories that they might not know in Royals history and tell it through trivia questions. And so I was able to do that. So it's really fun for me to be able to do that. It doesn't even include all of the stuff that I'm going to have to go back and do another one at some, at some point. So that's the, that's the one. And then of course, last year we celebrated the 50th season of Royals baseball. And we, we had a book that the, the club put together and I was able to put together some stories in that primarily about, um, uh, Dick Hauser, who plays such a, a key p- role in Royals history, and then Mr. Mr. K. I mean, this is a foundational role in Royals history there. So to be able to to help tell Mr. K.'s story, which is a fantastic story of not only the Royals, which he's important to, but his his very important to Kansas City still, like Buck, though he's not physically with us anymore. His presence in Kansas City is so overwhelming. He and Mrs. K both still to this day and and another great American self-made story. Do you have a favorite trivia question from that book? Oh, my favorite. So, so, uh, my favorite some of some of them go back to the 85 world series because i'm i'm always wanting to tell the story of uh so the 85 world series as everybody who was alive at the time knows there was this consequential call that happened in game six of of that world series in the in the ninth inning and and it was the wrong call there was a wrong call made on the field to lead off you know um George Orta hit a chopper, pinch hit, and hit a chopper and was out at first base, and he was called safe. And there's over t- over the course of history, there's been some revisionism in the idea that there's a lot of people that have con- been convinced that had the right call been made on that play that the Cardinals would have won the World Series. Well, we don't know that because he was the first batter of the inning and the game was one to nothing. Right. And the only out of that inning was George Orta at third base. So he was eventually out. The other people that reached base, the other people that scored, the guys that scored the winning runs in that game came after that play. And was could there could something have been different had Orta been out? Would the Royals have scored two runs? Maybe we wouldn't have. But we don't know that for sure. We do know that. There was only one out when the winning run scored. It was George Orta, and there was no other outs recorded by the Cardinals. And I think it takes away from the other player, the Royals players that, you know, took advantage. You know, sometimes when given an opportunity, you must take advantage. And the Royals were given an opportunity with a missed call and then took full advantage because uh, Steve Balboni got a hit in that. And then, you know, uh, Jim Sundberg tried to lay down a bunt. And uh, Dick Hauser let him bunt again with two strikes, and he did get it fair. And eventually the throw went to third, and Orge was out. And then, you know, uh, and then Dane Orge comes up with a big, gigantic pinch hit that scores two runs. I think it takes away from the idea that those guys were professional hitters and they took advantage and were able to come through. The other thing that I always point out at the same time is so that call obviously is magnified because of the timing that it happened in the game. It happened in the ninth inning. If you go back earlier in that game, in the fourth inning, with one out, Frank White gets a single. Scoreless game. Frank White gets a single in the, in the bottom of the fourth with one out. Then he tries to steal second base, and he is called out. 
But if you watch the broadcast of that game, you'll find that Tim McCarver and Al Michaels are talking about they thought he was safe. And if you look at that play, you're like, oh, looks like he's safe. And then Pat Sheridan followed him with a single. Well, I go back. And if we had in the day of instant replay, Frank White is safe at second in the fourth inning. Pat Sheridan falls with a single. Frank White scores in the fourth inning. Therefore, Brian Harper's hit only ties the game. And in the ninth inning, the Dinkager call, well, that wouldn't have had any effect because it would have been a tie game. So it sort of goes both ways. I understand that that one happened in the ninth inning versus the fourth inning. But there were other calls in that series. And as we always talk about, there was a game seven in that. And the Royals, uh, the Royals certainly showed up for that game. And the Cardinals were were uh, a little beside themselves during that game. There are a couple of other trivia questions in that book that I've researched that I think are interesting. One is the question, did Jackie Robinson ever play for the Kansas City Royals? Yes, isn't that one fun? So that one's fun for me because it's a, it's one you can always, it's almost, you can always win a bet on this, right? So you can ask somebody, did Jackie Robinson ever play for the Royals? And they'll go, well, Jackie Robinson quit playing. What was this? Last year was like 59, I think, and the Royals didn't come about until 69. Absolutely, positively no way did Jackie Robinson ever play for the Kansas City Royals, which is true, but not right because uh so jackie began his professional career in 1945 with the kansas city monarchs and he played about three quarters of that season and it was during that season actually at the east west game which was the all-star game for the national league in chicago that he was sort of got that first inkling from the dodgers that they were interested in signing him and then not long after that they'd sort of uh, signed him but didn't announce it and Jackie sort of stopped playing for the Monarchs towards the end of that year and then later it was announced that he had signed and was going to play for in the Dodgers minor league system to begin the 46th season. So if you think about it, Jackie played for the Kansas City Monarchs in 1945, then debuted with the Brooklyn Dodgers in 1947. In 46, uh, I always think we, we also have a tie a little bit because he made his debut in the minor leagues with one of the, uh, the, the Dodgers top affiliates, which was the Montreal Royals. So a lot of times you'll see Jackie in a Royals uniform and people will think it's the Montreal Royals uniform, which a lot of them are. But there's a few pictures of him in a Royals uniform that is not a Montreal Royals uniform. And that goes back to the winter in between. Of the, so the winter of 1945-46. Jackie went back home in Los Angeles and played in what was, what was called the, the California Winter League. And it was the, it's interesting because it was the first integrated league in the 21st century. Now, they weren't integrated teams, but it was an integrated league because it was a winter league that was primarily made up of minor and major league ball players and Negro League players that would all sort of go to Southern California in the winter to continue playing. And one of the teams out in California was run by a guy named Chet Brewer. And Chet Brewer was from Leavenworth, Kansas, had played for the Monarchs before, so he was sort of running one of the teams out there. 
And he wanted to call his team the Monarchs, but he didn't he didn't think he could do that because the Monarchs were playing. So he called his team the Royals. And not only did he call them the Royals, he called that team the Kansas City Royals. And if you look at those, you look it up, you'll see it. There's a picture of Jackie Robinson in a uniform. It says Royals on the front. If you look at the sleeve, the left sleeve, it has a KC on it. That's Chet Brewer's Kansas City Royals of the 1945-46 California Winter League, which I always... Uh, always like to point out as well played their home games at Wrigley Field so they were the Kansas City Royals but they play, did not play in Kansas City and their home field was Wrigley Field but they did not play in Chicago they were the the Kansas City Royals played at Wrigley Field all of it in Jackie Robinson's hometown of Los Angeles so what a great, there you go what a great trivia question that is indeed An- another one uh, that is that is in your book uh, everyone knows about Lou Gehrig's 2,130 consecutive games. And everyone knows, to some degree, about his replacement, Babe Babe Dahlgren. And Lou Gehrig uh, did not play for the Yankees after that, but that does not mean he didn't ever played another game. That's right. You know, he he's he, his last major league game was the end of that streak. He took himself out of the line. The last game he played was in New York against the the Senators, I believe. And then they he took himself out of the lineup in Detroit and said, you know, I'm just, I'm not being productive for the team. So he took himself out of the lineup, but he was the captain of the team. So he kept traveling with them and it was, it was in, uh, in July of that year. So this, that was in, that was at the beginning of May in July of that year, the Yankees were in St. Louis playing the Browns. It was the end of a road trip, and they had an off day, and they got on a train, and they came to Kansas City because the Kansas City Blues were one of their minor league, top minor league affiliates at the time, and the, the Blues had just won the year before what was then called the Junior World Series, and the Yankees were the defending World Series champions, so it was a matchup between the, the World Series champions and the Junior World Series champions. And... Uh, and so it was at what we would know as Municipal Stadium. At the time, it was called uh, Rupert Field and uh, started as Mulebach Field. And the exhibition, I think the ballparks at that time supposedly held like 13,000 people and there were supposedly like 20,000 people there. You know, it was, it was one of those games. People were actually sitting on top of concession stands. I've seen pictures of it. And, and Gehrig was with them and he thought that there might be some people there that were wanting to see him. And I guarantee you he was right about that. And so he decided he was going to play in that game. And he did. He played the first three innings of that game. He had one at bat in which he grounded out. He played first base for three innings and then took himself out of the game. Now, the other thing that I, the, the other fun thing about that game is both teams had a center fielder named DiMaggio. Uh, the younger one was playing for the Yankees. The older one was playing center field as Vince was playing center field for the Blues. So it was two DiMaggios in center field. The poignant thing about that story is, so the Yankees, they played that game. They got ready. They headed back to, I think, back to New York to start a homestand. Gehrig left here and went to Rochester, Minnesota, because he had an appointment at the Mayo Clinic. And it was at the Mayo Clinic where he would eventually be diagnosed with with ALS. 
So sort of a poignant story in the idea that the last time Lou Gehrig ever took the field to play a game of baseball was not at Yankee Stadium, was not in at, in, at Tiger Stadium in Detroit. It was actually here in Kansas City at 22nd in Brooklyn, a plot of ground that now has houses on it. And I often wonder if someone knows, you know, right there on that spot in your front yard was the last time the great Lou Gehrig ever took, a, took the field to play a game of baseball. And again, your book is So You Think You're a Kansas City Royals Fan. That's right. That's right. So you can find out if you are. It's it's really sort of a sharing. If you already are a Royals fan, it's really sort of a sharing of our our my passion that I, if if you're wanting to read that book, if you share the passion for the Royals and Kansas City baseball in general, that I, that I think uh, think you'll enjoy being able to know some of those those inane or interesting, depending on your perspective, facts and stories. Kurt Nelson, director of the Royals Hall of Fame. Thanks for sharing about your life at the ballpark. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Welcome to back to Kauffman Stadium. I know uh, you've spent some time in Kansas City, so this probably feels a little bit like home. We like to think that Kauffman Stadium feels like home for, for anybody that, that comes and visits us. Nice to see you. Listen each week for a new episode. I hope you'll subscribe and you'll share with your friends.